welcome to the Entrepreneur Sushi Club podcast. We have yet another exciting and very, very interesting, I can assure you, episode here for you today. I am your host, Gail Edwards, known as the Personal Brand Disruptor. And as usual, I am joined by my equally lovely co-host, Lumna Zaru, the Action Accelerator. In the house! Always in the house. So the Entrepreneur Sushi Club podcast is a weekly podcast where we give you insight into the personality of successful sushi adoring, sushi eating entrepreneurs, showing you that success is all about having fun in and with your business without the hustle and bustle of slaying and grinding and all of that. Yeah. So who have we got with us today? We have with us today... This lady is going to be teaching us. So I would say now, grab that notebook and pen now, because you won't have chance later on, okay? Because today we have with us Victoria Klein, who is an author, mindset meets business strategist. She's a systems nerd. She's also a Japanese culture nerd. Have we got the right person on the show today? She's a certified online business manager. And what she's here to do is to help. She's here to help service providers become more streamlined in their business, okay, to help them have six and seven even figure business by helping them to overhaul the whole back end of their business. She's been an entrepreneur her entire adult life, starting five businesses in 15 years, all of which have operated with a 50% or above profit margin. Now tell me again, this is not someone we want to listen to. Remember, notebook and pen. She's also currently writing her third book, which is a, the form of a memoir come self-improvement guide, and also is going to be tracking her journey through depression, anxiety, false starts, wrong turns, challenges even, and dare I say it, but getting the bleep out of your own way. So who is this absolute powerhouse that we have with us today? Of course, it's the amazing Victoria Klein. I am overjoyed to be here. And that is literally the best intro I've had in my entire life. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I am hyped lie. about myself now. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't lie. <laughs> this is who you are. Victoria, honestly... I am in awe of your presence today, you know, and I will be listening back to this with my notebook and pen as well, because I know you're going to be sharing some nuggets with us and you're going to be, you know, taking us through, weaving us through your journey as well. And of course, we're going to be talking sushi because Japanese culture nerd, first one, I think, isn't it, Lubna on the show? Yeah, it's the very, very first one. What an honor. I think I need to make a little medallion for myself and like hang it on the wall. <laughs> I'll put it on my website, official first Japanese nerd. I love absolutely, it. Absolutely, absolutely. So you've been an entrepreneur your entire adult life, Victoria. That fills me with such... I just love that because my daughter is 18 and she's just about to start university literally within the next two weeks and she's going to do a business management degree and right now she's thinking she's going to go and get some corporate job somewhere but she's not thinking entrepreneurship despite me being her mum and having been an entrepreneur for 21 years she's just I think she's seen too much of the ups and downs Mm -hmm. so I'm really intrigued to find out from you How did you know that you were going to be an entrepreneur? What was it that made you think, you know, I'm just always going to work for myself. What was that trigger? The trigger was actually in high school. 
And in high school in the United States, there's a lot of pressure. I imagine it's the same in many parts of the world where, okay, you're like 16, 17, you're having the most hormonal rage you've ever had in your entire life. And you have to decide what you're going to do with the rest of your life. You have I to make that decision. I still remember that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I remember sitting in the guidance counselor's office, like, where do you want to go to school? What do you want to study? What kind of job would you like to have? Where would you like to live? You know, are you planning on getting married? Are you planning on having kids? And my head exploded. I'm like, how am I supposed to make these decisions? I am not informed enough to make these decisions for myself. So naturally, I assumed I should listen to other people. I should listen to those who did go to college and chose this career or that career and all of that. And ultimately, none of it interested me. I was like, I don't know how to make this decision. I have to go out and live and decide it as I live. It's not something where I can stick a stake in the ground and just dance around it for the rest of my life. I'm not intelligent enough. I'm 17 years old. I don't know. Unfortunately, I don't know was not the answer anyone was looking for. (laughs) So (laughs) I actually did have a traditional job. I worked in the healthcare industry and I ended up leaving the job, even though they offered me near six figures, no school degree, nothing. And they offered me that right off the bat. And I said, that would be great, but I feel like I'm supposed to go to school. Mm -hmm. So I said no to an incredible job offer and went to college. And I went to college for one semester. I got straight A's because I can succeed in any sort of structure you hand me. But I was incredibly depressed because I didn't care. Nothing interested me. I wasn't excited about anything. I felt like I was, you know, square peg, round hole. And I was trying to cram myself into that. Ding. Ding, You've ding, just said, oh, that's a prize draw moment. You've said the magic words there because, as I said, personal brand disruptor, I only work with disruptors, square pegs, you know, looking for their square holes. So, we, Luna and I both really identify with that. We always get the right people, don't we, Libs? <laughs> and that's what happens when you go with the flow instead of trying to force it. Mm. So, that's some, by the way, 36, still learning that. <laughs> still learning that. 54, Not there yet. Still learning that. <laughs> right. <laughs> then I don't need to be in any hurry. It's no. just part of the process. All right. Good. All right. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> so uh, after going to college for a semester, I became incredibly depressed and I dropped out of college. And now I had no job and I was not going to school. And it was a huge downward spiral. It was very, very deep. It was very dark. My anxiety flew up. I was so nervous. I literally couldn't leave the house. I thought someone was going to attack me while I was on the way to get the mail. So I couldn't function as a healthy human being. And after six months of that, I asked my mom, I said, I can't do this on my own. I need help. And so I went to therapy I got on medication to get myself back working, back functioning. And one of the things I connected to during therapy was my favorite thing to do was to learn and write about it. And I thought, how does anybody make money (laughs) writing stuff down? Like, that's too easy, you Mm -hmm. know? And I've met so many people that absolutely hate writing. So I find that funny, of course. I love uh, So I transitioned into writing for magazines and newspapers. And eventually, after a few years, I had the opportunity to write two books. And 
I've found that I'm inherently good at seeing the big picture and all the details and distilling everything down to make it easy to understand. And I thought it was ridiculous that anybody would pay me to do that because it comes so inherently to me. So it's like my natural skills aren't worth anything because they're too easy. Oh, Oh. how how many times have I heard that? It, this can't be what I want to do because it's too easy. My daughter almost ended up doing a sociology degree because mm-hmm. it felt like work to her as opposed to a business degree, which just feels so natural to her. So thankfully, her purpose stood up and shouted to let itself be known that she is going to do business. But supposing it hadn't or supposing she didn't know how to listen. Well, let's use me as an example. I mean, literally at the beginning of the global pandemic, because I could not speak on stages anymore, I was in a, okay, what do I do now? I literally blinded by, I don't know what to do. And it took Gail to say to me, do you know how you naturally show up in the world? You really want to know what you do. And I've seen you consistently do over and over again. I'm like, okay, now you better tell me because I have no clue. (laughs) So you, you come up with ideas and strategies with a speed I've never seen anyone do. I'm like, yeah, I recognize about myself, but how is that in value? I mean, I can do it in 10 minutes. I mean, how is someone ever going to pay for me to do that in 10 minutes? And I had her to tell me, she said, do you have any idea how valuable that is? People spend three months in strategy session after strategy session, and you can do it in 10 minutes. Or even longer. They spend so much time trying to figure out what is it they really want to do. And even when they get that answer, it's, well, how do I do that? I don't know where to start. You know, oh, I want to transition into something else. So how do I then transition? Because everyone knows me for that. And these are all the things that it brings to the table. And it's the same with you, Victoria. You know, it's really heartening to hear you say that you thought that there was no value in it, but you found it. Absolutely. And it's taken a long journey. I still have days where I'm like, why are people paying me for this? It's so easy. Like, all you have to do is read these 14 books and you'll figure (laughs) it out. Like, why aren't people taking the time to do this? You've got time to read the books. You're the shortcut. You are the 14 books. (laughs) You're the combination of the 14 books. Yeah. At this point, we're talking like, five, six hundred books probably in my entire life. (laughs) And and that's what people are faced with. Do I go and read these 500 plus books or do I just work with Victoria? I actually love that. You can read all of these. You can talk to me for 30 minutes. Exactly. Because it's the same analogy I use even with my clients. Of course, you can trip over all the words you like. You know, buy yourself a thesaurus. I can't even say (laughs) that. (laughs) Buy yourself one of those or come to me and I'll help you with your messaging. I'll help you craft clear, congruent, you know, messaging that's so in alignment with who you are that people have no choice but to connect with you. So I love what you say when you say 500 plus books because that's the value that you're bringing most definitely. Oh, goosebump moment. Yeah, me too. (laughs) And I'm always reading. I mean, if you follow me on Instagram, I'm always posting whatever I'm reading. I'm always reading a fiction and a nonfiction book at the same time. Really? Because my brain needs a break. I need to be able to, because otherwise I would just fall down the rabbit hole. Like I get intense and focused about specific books, especially when they're nonfiction and I'm supposed to learn something from them. 
So I'm an obsessive note taker and things like that. So we're talking like high fantasy witches and dragons and like all kinds of crazy stuff. I have to be the total opposite. I need you to fling me out into fantasy land. And that actually makes me a better storyteller. And of course, as you would know, a better communicator because people learn through stories. So I can tell a story better when I know what interests people, what details are important and aren't important. And that helps when you write sales pages or emails or social media posts or anything like that. So I need to be able to have a fallback to switch my brain to a different direction because otherwise I get hyper analytical, which means eventually I turn that lens on myself and that's when I start to fall apart. Oh, we were talking about this just earlier on this afternoon. Libran and I actually did, we have um, a live broadcast that goes out on Tuesday afternoons, which is called Disruption in Progress, actually. And uh, we were talking about this exact thing about when we turn the lens on ourselves, you know, we fall apart, we forget what our brand values are. We start to overanalyze and think it's now this technical, formal process when it's not, it's so is not. So when you're in that state then, and Victoria, what do you do to get yourself out? I do a brain dump. So I open up like a Google Doc or something like that, and it's not for anyone else to see, obviously. And I can't even tell you how many, I probably have over a thousand of these now. And I just brain dump whatever's in my head. I allow myself to say whatever I'm saying to myself. So I externalize my ego and I start to realize how unreasonable it is and how untrue it is. And eventually, just through the process of writing, it turns from a personal attack to personal support at the same time. And you can see it over the course of a few pages and it just flips itself back over and it's like, it's all right. People get overwhelmed by this kind of stuff. But if you leave it in your head, it gets to poison the rest of you. Yeah. And that's not an option. That is so not an option. If you leave it in your head, it gets to poison the rest of you. So you do a brain dump, you externalize the ego, say all the stuff because it's in a safe space, and then you're able to move forward. I'm always in my own way. It's always us. You know, sometimes it's money. Sometimes it truly is knowledge. Like maybe I'm not the best at branding. I should hire somebody for that. Sometimes it is that, but ultimately in the end, you have to give yourself permission to take action and that's what we're all looking for. That's the validation we're all looking for is permission to do because we yeah. don't want to make a mistake and then have people come back and say, yeah, you probably shouldn't have done that. And we it's better if someone first. else gives you that permission because what does fall apart, you have someone to blame instead what? of yourself. External blame. Yes. It's all external. It's all external. But the hardest enemy you have is the voice in your own head and it's never going to go away. Yeah. Yeah. So it's either your ally or your enemy. And sometimes it's both. Yeah. Very, very powerful. That's so powerful. Listeners, please, I'm not going to tell you again. Go and get the pen and the notepad now. Right. (laughs) Or listen to this episode a couple of times if you really want to internalize this. So Victoria, one of the things I'm still curious about is when did it click? When did you think I'm an entrepreneur? This is what I'm here to do with all of this happening. I can honestly say it didn't click until about five or six years ago. Yeah. And so I went an entire decade as an entrepreneur, false starts, making huge mistakes, losing hundreds of thousands of dollars and pissing a whole bunch of people off. And eventually I was actually living in New York City at the time. And I gave myself one last shot to be normal. (laughs) 
Yeah. One last shot. And I worked at a magazine. Because, mm. hey, <laughs> I'm a writer. But my job actually wasn't writing. It was in accounting, ironically enough. <laughs> so... <laughs> Okay. They actually, nobody knew I was a writer. It was funny. <laughs> nobody knew I was a writer. Nobody had any idea. They actually found out a couple weeks before I left and they're like, why didn't you tell us? We would have had you writing something every week. And I'm like, I don't know. I didn't think it was important. <laughs> so, the thing that I'm naturally good at, I didn't think was important enough to tell anybody. Okay. <laughs> Which means I didn't think I was important. Exactly. And that that's what I'm actually point. saying. Yeah. That's the point. So I took my shot to be normal, to have a nine to five. I absolutely hated the commuting, obviously. And through learning the job, I realized that I could do it all online and I could do it part-time, not full-time. And of course, I went to my boss with this and he was very receptive. So thank you to him. I'm not sure if he's the editor-in-chief anymore, but thank you to him because he actually listened to me and he loved the idea. And he was like, can you do this with other parts of the department, I was like, well, yeah, of course, sure. Like, you know, just give me a few weeks to understand whatever the work is. And yeah, I can absolutely do that. So he took the idea up to the folks that actually owned the company and whole bunch of like 60, 70 year old white guys. And you know what they said? Nope. No. Nope. This That's is how we always done. done it. <laughs> not the way it's done. Yep. <laughs> so I quit. <laughs> and I said, that's it. I'm not trying to fit into someone else's vision of how I am useful. It's my turn to decide that for me. Oh, okay. Another power, power bomber. <laughs> I am not trying to fit in to somebody else's version of normal for you, of useful, of how you are useful. I love that. We determine how useful we are. We determine our usefulness and how we utilize that. <sighs> that, that. That's the second or the third time this has happened. Okay. Power drops. Wow. That well, is I hope I'm energizing powerful. you guys. Like it's 9.28 in the morning for me. So I'm just getting started. So <laughs> right, hey, we're in the afternoon dip. So this has oh, come at a great yeah. time to be fair. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So, so once you decided that, once you made that decision, came next? Well, I actually ended up working full time for another entrepreneur. I was her personal executive assistant Ooh. and also like a community manager. I did basically a conglomeration of behind the scenes things, which is your first red flag. Because if you don't have a clear job description, then all bets are off. And people don't know how they're contributing. People don't know how they're responsible. You know, now we're talking about hiring, which is another thing I'm used to. But if people don't have clear metrics, how to know they're succeeding in their role, they're never going to know what to do. They're never going to know how to feel accomplished, which means they're going to burn out in months. And I pushed myself for this woman. I'm not going to name any names. I don't think I'm legally allowed to. But I pushed myself very hard for her. She's very successful, multi-million dollars. Like, you'd know her name if I said it and doing amazing things, helping people do amazing things. But the back end of that business was a migraine every day. And my instincts kicked in. I'm like, how can I improve this? What can I do? And so I started coming up with ideas. I started experimenting on my own time how to improve this business because I wanted to see her succeed. And not super interested in that. Um, <laughs> and 
ultimately I got fired and my entire income was gone in less than 24 hours. And I had nothing. I had no business bill. I had no email list. I wasn't showing up on social media saying, hey, I do this. I was completely dependent on that income stream. So obviously I licked my wounds for a while. I was kind of bummed. I was really angry. I went to the gym a lot. (laughs) 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 Had a few pizzas. And eventually I started, I was like, there's got to be something that some sort of position that exists that takes all of my jack of all trades and makes the most use of it. And that's when I found out about being a virtual assistant. Mm. I was like, oh, I can do this. Yeah, I can totally do this. So I started doing that. My initials, VK, lend very well. So I was VK, the VA. And it was very catchy. Everybody (laughs) remembered it. And within two months, I had 10 clients working 80 hours a week. Mm -hmm. I was making more money than I'd ever made in my entire life. And I was miserable. (laughs) I was miserable. I felt marginalized. I felt used. I felt underutilized. I was like, why am I doing? I don't even like doing the things you're telling me to do. This is not a good idea. Don't do this. This isn't going to (laughs) help. I didn't get paid enough to say that. (laughs) So first of all, I burnt out terribly. I had to drop half of my clients. I burnt out terribly. I didn't work for two weeks. I ate sushi almost every day, by the way, because it made me feel better. Not going to lie about that. A whole lot of Japanese food. I can't even tell you. I've spent tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars on Japanese food at this point in my life. And I have zero shame about that, by the way. Hey, <laughs> neither should you. I it's an accomplishment. It's exactly. something to be proud of. That's an achievement. Yeah. We're putting that on the list of achievements. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. So I realized then I'm doing isn't the specialty. I can do. I'm trained to do. That's my zone of excellence is if you tell me to do something, I'll do it even better than you wanted it. And I'll do it even sooner than you thought. The problem is, is that in doing, I'm going to find a way to improve it. And Mm -hmm. I need to spend more headspace improving it than I need to do doing it. And I didn't have that space available. So I transitioned into being an online business manager, which is, you know, kind of a, a higher rank. And it's more about management and improvement than it is about implementation. The problem is, is that that area starts to get really gray because once an entrepreneur trusts you as much to be the second in command of your business, they start to want you to do more versus managing and improving and tracking and, you know, all of those high level administrative kinds of things. So the area kept getting really, really gray. And I'm like, how in the world do I stick my foot down and say, I don't implement. That's not my job. And that's when I started offering one-day intensives, where it's not my job to implement. It's my job to help you get an immense amount of stuff done in a short amount of time. And that's when the shift happens, because I make more doing a VIP day than I do with one client as an OBM for the whole month. And I get that, because that's a very similar business model to what I have. The only difference is that my VIP days were in person, Mm. and obviously with COVID, you know, that kind of, so it's been a shift over the last few months in terms of, okay, how do I do that, but still re- retain that, you know, that energy. And uh, to be honest, I'm still figuring it out because my work's very much based on nature as well. So it's, I'm still trying to figure that out. But even so, I totally get what you say when you say that you were able to earn more from one VIP day than the whole month. 
So what I'm really interested to hear now is when you take your clients on that VIP day, what are the kind of outcomes they're coming out with? Because that's some powerful stuff. I know how the power of a VIP day works. So I want to know, because that's some really mind shifting as well as game changing stuff that goes on there. Yeah, absolutely. What are they coming out equipped to do? How are they feeling? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the standard VIP day that I do is focused on overhauling the back end and getting systems and processes actually in place. So one of the things we do is actually write two of them together. So we screen share, we go through the softwares. I'm sitting out there writing it in obnoxious technical detail by the way, because <laughs> that's what that I do. Obnoxious technical detail. You know, that's already applying to me, don't you? Um, <laughs> I'm so not techie. I know. We were laughing about how non-techie I am just this morning. <laughs> so I go through in detail. My assumption is if I wanted to teach my grandma how to do this for me, what do I need to write down? So she's never logged into the software. She doesn't even know what the software is called. She doesn't know the URL. She doesn't know where it is. She doesn't know where any of the documents are. She doesn't know anything. If you're walking in blind, because when... Yeah, see, there you go. And you actually enjoy that? I do. I do, because you only have to do it once. Just like I have tattoos on my arms. I only had to get them once. Yeah. (laughs) But I knew the value of doing it once instead of pardon my language, half-assing it for a long time. And your team keeps asking you the same questions over and over and over and over. And if I hear that question one more time, I'm going to break my computer. (laughs) Write it down. Get it out of your head. Your head is valuable space. It shouldn't have systems and processes living in it. So true because we keep too much in our heads. Literally, one of the things that I advised an entrepreneur yesterday is don't try to order your thoughts in your head because your brain can't do that. It can't sift and sort. It has to be externalized onto paper. So I literally said, just bring up everything and then order, sift and sort on paper. But you're trying to do something. Your brain is physically not capable of doing and we still keep doing it we still are in that pattern of keeping it done and the more you write down the more you systemize and i'm a techie i mean i have a background in it i've had a career in it so i love these things (laughs) gail space (laughs) i know i'm the techie in this duo i still love it i mean i can still geek out over these things i've written manuals i've given trainings to people on how to use word excel powerpoint all of those things and all of this for them stupid questions that they ask of how to use it there's so much value in doing this once really good for years Absolutely. But the problem is, is we're waiting for that external validation or someone to tell us this is important. You need to focus on it. And here is why. A lot of people don't see the outcome. They don't see the value in taking the time to write a process for how to send a newsletter or, you know, how to create a new webinar or something like that. They don't see the value in that process until they actually do it at least once. And then they're like, wow, like no one's asking me about this anymore. Well, they don't have to. Your brain's on the screen. Mm, Your brain's on the screen for them. You are available 24-7 through that process you wrote down. They don't need you anymore. 
Yeah. And Do something else that, with your brain space. Exactly. <laughs> one of the things that you shared before we recorded this episode is that one of the outcomes is of the VIP day that you do is they get work done in those six hours that would normally take them three months and that, that people actually leave from, okay, I'm removing that, I'm removing that. And I just realized that I'm being distracted all the time. So it literally, I'm spreading my attention over three months instead of focusing a chunk of time, dedicated focus on that one thing and getting it all done and closing the loop on that thing instead of trying to spread it over time. I think that's one of the values of doing VIP mm. days because there are no excuses. You can't be distracted because you're focused on that thing and there is someone guiding you through so you can't escape to something nope. else. Nope. You can't escape to something else. You can't pretend it's not important. You can't say, I'll just skip over this part. I'm watching you like Hawk. We're right here. Like oh. I can see you. You know, oh, I am here. You have you to know? explain to me one thing. <laughs> now, out of all of this, you still found time to study Japanese culture and language. You gotta help me on that one. How? Okay. And All why? right. Why? What was the fascination with Japan? <laughs> okay. So I have always had a fascination with Japanese language and culture, mostly because it is so immensely different than the culture and the language I grew up with. Some people are afraid of what's different from them. I'm massively fascinated. What can I learn from you? What can I understand better about the world and how life exists by learning from you as someone from a different culture with a different language and a different history and different set of skills? Because I am not great at everything. Spoiler alert, nobody is. That's just how it works. As much as I have tried to be a one-man show my entire life, nope. Humans are meant to connect. Humans are meant to love. Humans are meant to grieve together. That's what we do. So allowing myself to do that, I realized there's more than enough to learn. I am not the be-all, end-all. And in case you never noticed from my past struggles, I already knew that. (laughs) (laughs) So I've always been fascinated with Japanese language and culture. I actually didn't like fish when I was younger. I grew up in Central America or Central part of the United States. Like I'd never had fish other than tuna in a can. Like I didn't like fish. It smelled weird you know, and I had chicken and beef and I had all the things. And so as I progressively got older, I got more into Japanese culture. I started reading historical books. I got more into uh, curiosities about the language because Mm -hmm. it's historically known that English speakers have a very hard time learning Japanese Mm -hmm. for obvious reasons. It's very different and you have to learn a whole new visual learning system. So that just continued to progress and progress. And my partner had been in the Marine Corps. So he was in the military for five years. And he got out and he went to college because he'd never gone to college before. So he spent two years getting a tech degree, which is great because he's just like, he's tech on a whole nother level. Like I'm internet tech. He's all the other tech. (laughs) And so after he was done, we were living in Connecticut at the time and we knew we didn't want to stay there. So he said, we can go anywhere in the world. What do we do? And I said, maybe it's my turn. Maybe it's my turn to go back to school and study whatever the F I want to. Mm. And obviously there's a financial implication to that. I was very aware and responsible as an adult that I was quote unquote throwing money away. But to me, learning is never throwing money away. I will spend money on learning for the rest of my life. Yeah. So 
I thought about, I've always been interested in Japanese. I wonder if that's something I could study. I could be a translator. I could make a business out of it. So I started looking into it and I realized that there's not a lot of schools in the United States that have a bachelor degree in Japanese language and culture. Most、mm-hmm. of them are master's degrees and I only had an associate. So I had a two-year degree and I'm asking for a four. A master's is an eight. I can't jump to that. I can't skip levels. So I thought, well, where can I get a bachelor's in Japanese language and culture? Austin, Texas is one of the only places to get it. So I applied. I moved here before I even knew if I got in. Oh, wow.、That's、I got in and I went for three semesters. And that was my major, along with managing being an online business manager at the same time. I went to the first semester, I went full time, totally burned out. Still got straight A's, by the way, but you know, overachiever. That's、yeah. just kind of how it works. But I'm going to be honest that I burnt out and,、yeah. you know, it was crazy. So I switched to part time after that and I did two more semesters and I learned an immense amount. I'm very close with my first professor. She's actually an author and she's, you know, a native Japanese citizen. So we exchange a lot of ideas a lot of the time. And I realized that while a Japanese degree would be awesome, like who would be like, guess what weird piece of paper I have? I realized that it was not the best use of my time or my money. So I continued my studies on my own and I got to reinvest back in my business to continue to launch it, which freed in the end will free up more time for me to study the things that I want to study. And I don't have to make a business out of all of my hobbies, <laughs> <laughs> which is very hard for me. Yeah. Did you hear that, entrepreneurs? Did you hear that? You don't have to make a business out of all of your hobbies. Gail, did you hear that? <laughs> Sometimes getting into that is another revenue stream. It is、yeah. really fantastic, but I'm fully aware of the immense amount of knowledge that translators have and the immense amount of effort that they put into their job because my former professor is also a、yeah. translator. She's been a translator for 20 years. And it's like, I get it. Like, I'm not going to be able to manage both businesses at the same time. It's not reasonable. So, Still study Japanese, but now I'm back to actually focusing on writing in English because ultimately I just want an excuse to write. Ooh, you know, and now my curiosity because how do you say sushi in Japanese? Sushi.、Yeah. Oh, sushi. So sushi. it's shorter. We, we say sushi. Yeah. But Japanese, it's sushi.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, the emphasis is on the final syllable. Yeah. Yeah. Sushi. Ooh, ooh, ooh. ooh. Yeah. Now, sushi. Yeah. <laughs> it gives it like an air of elegance when you say it that way. You're like, oh, this is serious. I better pay yeah, attention. Yeah, it's heavy stuff. So,、yeah. and now for the most important question of the podcast What's your favorite sushi and why? Oh, just one? Yes, just one. Just one. I'm really、okay. sorry. I know it's the hardest <laughs> question I could ask. It has to be just one. <laughs> just one. It's nigiri. So, nigiri sushi、oh. is my favorite kind. I'm not a rolls person. Rolls are actually an American invention. But wait, just wait, allow wait. me to like step up on my high horse for a second and say that nigiri is the real sushi. And. <laughs> but, Libna, are you observing the way that Victoria is pronouncing it? I know. And I, I'm, I'm observing and listening、oh, really、yeah. well. No, no, because I'm learning this, Japanese here, ladies and gentlemen. None of this salmon nigiri, you know, is <laughs>、yeah. nigiri. <laughs> Nigiri. Nigiri. Yeah, it's the pop in the middle of your mouth.、Yeah. So, my personal favorite Nigiri is Hotate Gai, which is scallops. 
I never liked scallops until I had Japanese scallops. Never liked them. Thought what, they were what weird. Are they what are they called? What was Hotate, Hotate Gai. Hotate Gai? Yeah, that's if you were to order it in Japanese, that's what they would bring you. you I would also. Hotate Gai. Yeah, I really love when they sear the top of the scallop just a little bit because it caramelizes it and changes the flavor. You can have a raw one and then have a seared one next to each other and they completely change the flavor, but they still have the same personality underneath it. It's just like changing your shirt. It's like now you feel a little different because you're wearing red instead of blue, but it's the same thing. And it's just so I never liked scallops until I had Hokkaido scallops on top of rice. <laughs> and that's all it took. That, that's my personal favorite. I will eat that every single day if I could. Wow. How did you get introduced into sushi? <sighs> Do you remember the very first time you had it? I genuinely don't. It would have been as an adult. It would have been probably after high school. Mm-hmm. And it was probably when I was living in San Francisco mm-hmm. because I've lived all over the place too, because mama can't choose a business and mama can't choose a location. So just get used to it. And I lived in San Francisco and there's a, you know, a large Japanese and Chinese population there. So I started drinking green tea every day and I just became more and more interested in expanding the cultures. And I was like, I know I've never really been into fish, but why not? Mm-hmm. Like life's short. I either try it and don't like it or I try it again and I enjoy it. And I was living on the further outskirts of San Francisco and at the end of the hill, because everything's on a hill, <laughs> at the end of the hill was this cute little sushi shop. It was adorable and it's traditional. Traditional in the sense that you can give sake to the sushi chef and he will continue to drink it all night. And it makes the sushi actually taste better over time because he starts to think less about what he's doing and he does it instinctively because he's Mm -hmm. had thousands and thousands of hours of experience. Mm -hmm. So Japan's a drinking culture. And so you could offer him, you know, sake and first of all, amazing experience. There's a spectacular energy in there. And my partner really, really wanted to go. And I'm like, I don't eat sushi though. Like I'd feel really rude not having any. He was like, just have some. If you don't like it, I'll eat it. I'm like, okay. So we went I loved it. It was amazing. And for an introvert who doesn't like loud noises, (laughs) you wouldn't think I would enjoy it. But something about the Japanese culture and just the community vibe versus America's obsession with individualism, Mm. that sense of community, even though I'm an absolute stranger and, you know, I'm Swedish and German and I'm not Japanese at all, but I felt more welcomed there eating fish, being pseudo yelled at by the the sushi chef who's drunk on sake and still cutting things with a knife. I felt more comfortable there than anywhere I've ever felt comfortable in my own country. And that, like, that shook me. I never forgot that. And then I just kept eating and trying new things and trying new things and trying, and you know, here I am. Now I'll try, you don't even have to tell me what it is. Just tell me it's Japanese and just bring it to me and I'll try it. Oh, wow. That's trust. That's real trust. Hey, I've had some bad things though. Let me tell you. Oh, okay. You know what? Don't tell us. We don't need to know that. No, 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 no. We are not ruining any sushi journeys here. I've never had bad sushi though. I've never had sushi that made me sick. I've never had bad sushi ever in my life. No, nor me. I don't even think I've had any sushi that I don't even like, to be fair. I've liked everything. I can't. Me too. I can't think of anything I've not liked. No? No. So, the other million dollar question, of course, is. 
with all that you do and all that you are, if you were a sushi, Victoria, if you, Victoria Klein, was a sushi or a sushi, if you were a sushi, (laughs) what would be the ingredients in your particular brand of sushi and why? That's a fantastic question. Hmm. I think... I can think of a particular piece right off the top of my head that I think I would be. It's nigiri as well. And it's punsei sake, which is smoked salmon. Mm. And so salmon is one of the most common types of sushi that a lot of people have. Salmon is not native to Japan. So salmon is actually a invention. They usually import it from Norway. Yeah. So originally there was no salmon sushi. So it's a little bit more contemporary in that sense. It's also foreign because it's not native to Japan. They import massive amounts of it from Norway. So not only it's a little more contemporary, it's a little foreign, it's also smoked and usually has a little bit of red onion on top. So the smokiness has a smoothness to it. And of course it's salmon, so it tastes amazing. So it's smoky and it's smooth. And then that red onion just bites you a little bit because it is not a smooth journey with me because life is not like that. And I'm not going to babysit you and I'm not going to sugarcoat you, but I'm going to change your life if you're willing to show up. So Gail, tell me now. (laughs) I absolutely love, love. In fact, everything you've said today, and I know Lubna's feeling exactly the same. This is by far probably one of our most exciting interviews I think we've done. Yeah. It's just a joy to listen to you, Victoria. It really is. And your command of language and vocabulary is just, you know, as a fellow wordsmith, it's an absolute joy to behold. It really is. So, you know, with this sushi, oh, I just love it. So you being that particular kind of sushi and nigiri with the smoked salmon and the red onion, And it has to be red onion. It can't be any other. It's that specific type of spiciness that comes from a red onion. And it's always very, very thinly sliced because you can't let the onion overwhelm the salmon. That's not the point. So it's very thinly sliced. There's usually two or three very tiny, thin slices on top of it. And obviously it's sushi. So you just eat it all at once. And yeah, it's a beautiful. So what about your business though? Would it be a different kind of sushi? Or would it be more of the same? I think it would be the same because as much as some people are interested in creating, you know, lifestyle brands and massive multi-million dollar corporations, by the way, if that's your goal, have at it. I can still help you. But me personally, my business has always been about being a fuller version of myself. And that means I am infused in every way. Even if I hire 30 employees at some point, I'm still there. I don't like being the face of anything, by the way. But I have to show up as the fullest, healthiest version of me in order to make a difference. And that means every other CEO has to do the same thing. Every team member has to do the same thing. And that means it's the same thing. It's still me. That pop is still there. That smoothness is still there. It's still contemporary. It's still foreign. It's still like, how in the world does any of this make sense? Well, it doesn't because I'm this weird conglomerate of books and culture and interest and exploration because I'm unique, you're unique, we're all awesome, but you got to get the hell out of your own way. And that's what I'm here to help you with. And you know what? 
All day. Either I'm coming to Texas <laughs> or you're coming to I would London. rather come to Europe if you will let I, me. Or you're coming to London, UK. I'd <laughs> rather come to somehow, Europe, by the way. <laughs> somehow we need to be living together. <laughs> I need an app that just has my voice with like little memos on it that just like boost you yeah. up or something. Yeah. <laughs> somehow we got to see how we can make that work. So before we go though, Victoria, what nuggets, is there anything you would like our listeners to know about you or something that you can leave them with? How can they get more of you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm always on my website. That's the joy of having a website, right? Because I don't have to be awake because it's awake. So <laughs> it's victoriaklein.co. So it's very hip and contemporary that way. Mm. And I'm also on Instagram, probably more than I should be, but I am an introvert and I like to connect with people that way. So I do uh, weekly Facebook lives that are also on Instagram. So I do that every Friday. So you can always show up there and you're always welcome to ask me questions. That is the greatest trigger for having an interesting conversation with me is just ask me something and you will forget your original question, but <laughs> we will take a journey together and it will be a worthwhile experience. Beautiful. Beautiful. Oh, I almost don't want it to end, do you? I know, I know. <laughs> I believe we can talk for hours, but you really know we still got next year. We can have you back, Victoria, and we would love to. to. Yeah, when the book's done, let's have you back when the book's ready. Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. I'm actually already keeping a list of people that are interested. Yes, so please. I will add you guys on there. And you're actually the first podcast that's ever said that. So <laughs> you guys are going to be at the top of the list for that. Hey. We're disruptors. Hello. <laughs> oh, awesome. wow. Absolutely awesome. You know, it really has been a joy to speak to you. It's been a pleasure to find out more about what you do, how you do it, who you do it for, what the outcomes are. And there's so much more we could speak about. But as we've just said, you are going to be back next year once the book is done. And we are definitely going to be keeping the conversation going behind the scenes. I know that for a fact as well. So, listeners, what can I say? Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Entrepreneur Sushi Club podcast. Always a joy to bring it to you. But, of course, we would like to know, as ever, what has been your biggest takeaway from today's conversation? What have been your aha moments, your light bulb moments? Please take a moment and share this with us in our Facebook group, The Entrepreneur Sushi Club. You'll find us in the link in the description below this episode. And of course, if you know someone who will benefit from listening to this episode, we all know those people that could do with just having a little bit more organization and process in their lives. So please do share this episode with them. And until next time, we're As out. As always, have fun. Have fun. Bye. Bye.